My name is David Yun, and welcome to my viewfinder. This is a podcast where I speak to photographers about why they shoot as opposed to what they shoot with. My hope is to produce inspiring content to get you out there looking at the world creatively. Each episode will end in a thought or project to help bring this to the fore, so make sure you get to the end and uh, interact with me. If you're interested in continuing this project with me, you can help me out by clicking subscribe uh, and leaving me a review on your podcast platform of choice. You can also find me on Instagram at my viewfinder podcast. Uh, I'm on Twitter at MVF podcast, or you can email me directly at mvfpodcast at gmail.com. Art is often associated with mental health, usually in some dramatic and brutal way. Think of the phrase suffering for one's art. But sometimes it's related in a sense of therapy, coping, self-discovery. Today I sit down with Chris Schofield to talk about the latter, and perhaps the first one too. I first saw Chris's work at Gravity Cafe in Inglewood several years ago, and it's breathtaking stuff. It's very prairies, but even I appreciated its tone. We discuss how his struggles with his mental health line up with his approach to photography and rally car racing, and next week, uh, straight edge hardcore music. But I'm getting ahead of myself. What is the line between solitude and isolation, healing and expression, art and madness? Uh, let's hear what Chris's experiences can teach us. This might be a good easy start. Well, favorite weather? I'm not a fan of the very cold or the very hot. So anywhere sort of between like 10 and 20 degrees and partly cloudy. Um, could be partly because of my day job too, because I don't really like it when it's really hot because I work outside and uh, or very cold. Like sort of like the spring and fall type weather where it's, uh, you know, you can wear a hoodie or a t-shirt and you'll be okay. As far as being, uh, you know, landscape and building photographer, do you track weather? Is this something that's part of your decision to go out? Yes. I also do a bit of storm chasing. Uh, I've, I've been involved with the storm chasing community and I go out a couple times a year. And that's the other thing I shoot, yeah, is uh, tornadoes, dramatic weather. <laughs> I've never seen a tornado. I want to. Uh, I've seen you know, funnel clouds and stuff close to tornadoes. And I've seen some crazy, crazy weather and getting like running away from storms where it was throwing like softball sized hail and and stuff. And uh, I've met a lot of good photographers and just good people in that as well. And also there's a lot of drama in that whole scene. So I try to stay away from any of that. I, I won't, Are I won't ask for specifics, but uh <laughs> Arguing on the internet is the stupidest thing in the world. My Viewfinder is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. If you're looking for more Albertan podcast content, check out their website, albertapodcastnetwork.com. If you're looking for them on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at albertapodnet. This is a message from one of our sponsors, Rumi. Cold drafts, flickering lights, and where's that leak coming from? If you've ever wondered what's really going on in your home, Rumi's Ask a Home Inspector service can help. Connect with a certified professional home inspector by phone or video call and get those questions answered. 
Rumi will let you know what's easily fixable with a little DIY or when you might need to call in some professional help. Visit rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, and book your Ask a Home Inspector appointment today. Yeah, when I first messaged you on Instagram, like I had, it wasn't like, hey, can I come on your podcast? It was just like, hey, I appreciate your podcast because it wasn't like all about gear, like how you shoot or anything. It was more like just, you know, why behind it and, you know, just about the people behind the camera sort of thing and not about the camera. And it's nice to have that. Thank you. I mean, this is, to be honest, why I asked you to be on here because, uh, you know, as soon as I looked at your profile and I was like, oh, I've seen this shit. I was like, I need to find out, you know, why anybody does this because uh, uh, I've tried it like once or twice. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. it, like you said, there's uh, environmental uh, therapy in it, but I, it's not how I connect with the world. It's, so It's definitely not for everyone. Yeah, it's just, that's a lot of either silence driving around or it's a lot of podcasts I listen to or music. Yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. And, you know, not everybody enjoys that type of stuff. But at the same time, like, I don't enjoy taking pictures of people or weddings or anything. Like, some people absolutely love that stuff. I, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, I was thinking after we chatted a bit is maybe we can talk about you know, coming to Alberta, becoming a photographer. And I think um, this idea of like being a visual or presumably visual or a practical person, I think they all kind of intertwine. So I think I touched on a bit through chatting where I just find a lot of this stuff like photography wise and whatever, just very therapeutic. Yeah. Just uh, struggling with uh, a lot of social anxiety, ADHD, depression, BPD. It's just, uh, it's probably why why I've chosen the direction of photography I have because I don't have to be around anybody. <laughs> yeah, we should definitely talk about that. I have lucky distinction of being crazy enough to have a AHS assigned psychiatrist, so I don't have to pay. So I'm the... Yeah, I I used to uh, have that. <laughs> it's fun. Or right? <laughs> uh, Well, I used to go to like a, at the Schumer, I went to like this group therapy stuff that was based on anxiety. I it, Going would just throw me into panic attacks. Oh, crap. So I just ended up having to quit was it like a cbt then, type of thing like cognitive behavioral uh no i tried i did a bit of that before this was it was focused on anxiety oh. and then you had an assigned therapist and then my therapist left because she didn't like the way the direction of ahs was going with certain things they were just like 20 weeks and turn around and push the person yeah, out yeah. and she wasn't liking that and then the therapist i ended up getting told them my concerns that I had before were, especially with my ADHD, I had therapists were like, well, maybe you're just not trying hard enough. Then he, he actually said that to me and I called him out on it. And then the next session he did it again. And that was the end of our sessions. Yeah. It's like, you can't tell me I'm not trying hard enough. You don't know how hard this is. I, uh, I went to a lot of different types of therapists before I found my current one. I can definitely at least say, I mean, I don't, I wasn't there with you, so I can't speak to yeah. your experiences, but uh, I think you've noticed too, um, it's not like capital TH therapy, there's an answer. They're applied by other human beings. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that, uh, I won't say they shouldn't be therapists, but they didn't, yeah, I didn't uh, get a lot out of our relationships. And uh, 
Yeah. I just got lucky, I think, or blessed or whatever. You know, you want to talk about it five years ago, meeting the person I'm working with now uh, through some drama. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I got lucky because he and I get along really well. But that's a tough thing. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's a tough yeah. thing. No, I had a late diagnosis of things. I was like 35, but it really helped. Like it answered a lot of questions of why I felt so fucked up all the time. And sort of answered about, oh, so that's why I do things the way I do. We can do a photography metaphor and say, what's yeah. the, he needed a lens to put it into focus. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the whole like growing up, like the punk rock straight edge stuff, I was like very anti-medication stuff like that. So I tried like everything possible without knowing what my actual issues were of just like naturopath and herbalists and traditional Chinese medicines and five element healing chakra clearings, all that stuff and nothing would touch it. And then I just finally was like, okay, let's try this. And even like therapy wasn't working until I, it was actually on a podcast. Somebody was talking about how their ADHD was affecting them. I was like, wow, that sounds really familiar. So I, was at the Calgary Counseling Center at the time, which I won't go back to again. <laughs> it was just like, hey, can I see the doctor, not self-diagnosing myself, but just if anything, just to rule it out. And then, yeah, I came back with like depression and anxiety and ADHD. Yeah. And that was like when I was like 35. So well, like eight years ago, nine years ago. And the medication really ended up helping my photography a lot <laughs> where you hear that common thing about like going on medication is going to zap all your creativity, which it did the opposite for me. Yeah. I think there's I I don't know. I don't want to say stigma or stereotype, but uh, it's mental illness is definitely poorly communicated, uh, particularly mm -hmm. in films and movies. And so a yeah. lot of expectations are very strange. I remember oh, maybe 15 years ago, there was a Time Magazine. I don't know if they're still around, but they did uh, an article about a very famous abstract 80s painter and how once he was diagnosed with bipolar and put on uh, these anti-schizophrenic medicines, whatever, he stopped being able to paint in this bombastic, right? Uh, and how the interview is talking about, I think with his mother, how it's a, a trade-off that they accepted because he was about, like he was so far gone in his disease at that point in his 50s that I think he was going to kill himself several times. And like it, it just spiraled so badly out of control. So then it sets up this idea that you have to be kind of kind of insane to be creative, mm -hmm. um, which I also find is fundamental. I mean, I'm probably insane, but uh, I don't think it's fundamentally true. I think that living is creative. So if you tap into mm -hmm. it, um, it doesn't have to be painting art. It's just doing anything. It's yeah. expressive, right? Like, you know, the really dark times, I won't lie. So like, yeah, they did help me get some more creativity, but to be able to actually harness it and move it forward, being able to deal with the, the depression and anxieties and stuff really helped. Like I was able to actually then, no pun intended, but like focus on stuff with photography better and know what I wanted to do instead of just like, I'm going to do everything. And I wasn't happy with any of that. I'm starting to feel like I'm at that crux spot too. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I can generalize that every photographer starts off kind of not knowing where they're supposed to be. So they dabble in everything. That's probably not true, but 
I have felt like I've weakly put my hand out to every genre. Uh, it's not like I've committed, yeah. uh, opened up a, a full-on studio or anything, but uh, definitely, and we talked about this, you know, before the recording is, uh, I I saw your, uh, some of your work. So what was displayed at Gravity uh, a couple of years ago? And then when we quote unquote met on Instagram, I immediately recognized the photo. So there's a, a style and a, a thematic sort of structure to the work that you're presenting now. And I think it does speak to some of these topics we're talking about already. Do you think that if you look, or and I shouldn't say you think, like when you look at photographs you're taking when you first started out, I mean, how different, how different oh, are they? Yeah, no, they're a lot. Like I was just looking back at some of the stuff over the weekend. I found like a whole bunch of like test print stuff. And I was just like, what the hell was I thinking? And like, just all these like weird angles. And I don't know, I, I know kind of what I'm going for now. And it might be really repetitive because like all I kind of shoot is the abandoned shit and like desolate prairie scenes. But it's weird because it's, yeah, it's, it's really weird saying this like this, but it's, uh, Almost like I'm going to go visit friends just because like, you know, I usually try to find the most like stark sort of barren type places where like there's nothing else really around and there's not a ton of buildings. And I find that it's uh, almost like, I think I mentioned this in our chat before, sort of like a self-portrait in a way. It's kind of reflecting on how I feel in my place in the world. Like I just... It's hard to put into words. but When you look at stuff that you started taking pictures of and where you're at now, is there is there sort of a story that emerges to you now about, you know, where your brain and yourself, your self-portrait or your self-image was and how it's developing? Because certainly, you know, I've even had practical questions of like how you even find abandoned houses in the prairies. Uh, if there's like a, a support group, like a Facebook group where people tell each other GPS coordinates, but I... I do remember a friend of mine once took me out to one, but he worked for CN Rail. So I think like people in that area just knew what's happening yeah. out in the, in well, boondocks is how I see it. I don't know if they say that in the prairies, but. Uh. <laughs> um, to answer that part of the question, I've been, I started driving out in the prairies in 2008 randomly. And it started with following, I used to, well, I still uh, do participate in car rallies and there was a navigational rally that I had done a number of times that went out to Drumheller and back. So uh, one Easter weekend, I went out and just sort of followed the route by memory and just started shooting stuff along the way. And that sort of got me really interested in finding abandoned stuff because I came across all these things. And I went out again on Sunday out toward Drumheller. I was gone for like 12 hours, 500 kilometers, whatever. And I just, it was amazing. Just, I found another like four or five places I've never been to before. And I just keep stumbling upon places after, you know, over 10 years of just going out there. And I was just listening to one of your episodes either today or yesterday about how the first time you went out to the mountains and just how small it made you feel. Um, I feel like I feel that in the prairie as well. And it's just really sort of puts in perspective just how small you are in this world because the sky is endless, especially compared to Toronto. Yeah, we talked about how you're from back east too. I, 
I definitely felt like the moment we moved here, we understood why they call it big sky country or whatever it is. Yeah. It's a strange feeling, right? Like, yeah, I feel like in Toronto, you never look up. <laughs> or like, it's just going back and visiting. Like it just feels even not in Toronto, but just outside. Like my, my dad lives in Peterborough and my mom lives out in Warkworth and just driving out there. It's still like the skies just don't feel as big. And it's just, it's a, you don't know it until you experience it. It's hard to understand. Well, you know, I think even the idea of coming out here and then, you know, we talked a little bit, you brought up a little bit this idea of ADHD and having to get diagnosed. But I think it's kind of funny to think about depression, mental health, and then you having the the energy to just suddenly drive out for, what is it, 12 hours? Uh, it requires a lot of yeah. focus. I mean, I... I know when I was uh, in the pit of my depression, I, I was literally just laying down. Like uh, people are listening, can't see what I'm gesturing at, but the floor right here, and I was just lying down there for eight hours a day uh, between having to drop my son off at daycare and my wife at work, and then having to go pick them up. And I just didn't want to fucking. I didn't want to move. I mean, I wanted to do worse things, but I, I couldn't get up. I do remember after kind of uh, bottoming out that one of the things that got me back actually was hiking. And so because I had that eight hour window, I started driving out to the mountains. Sounds like a little bit like I went uh, west and you went east. Mm -hmm. But so you're into rallies and you're driving out by yourself. Uh, what What's happening there? Do you already own a camera? Or are, you, are you already taking pictures at that point? You know, how do we, how do we get to abandoned houses specifically? Um, yeah, I had a camera at that point. I had just recently got my first digital camera. Back in the 90s, I was I was shooting 35 millimeter and I had a dark room and stuff back in high school and, and stuff. And then I just, I moved around a bunch and sort of fell out of photography for a while and then sort of slowly got back into it just with like cheap sort of point and shoot cameras and stuff. And then got a Canon 30D and then started from there again and just a whole lot of learning but uh yeah just just going out and randomly shooting stuff just whatever looked interesting i did shoot uh the fast car rally stuff as well where they shut down the roads and it goes as fast as you can from point a to point b uh i competed in that for a bit as well but it just got too expensive on like forestry roads like gravel roads and uh oil field roads out uh there's a couple areas around here that uh they hold events um there was down in the porcupine hills the rocky mountain rally used to be held down there and then in kananaskis sort of uh along powderface trail the road that connects the bottom of 66 over to 68 it's a 34 kilometer road that's really fun and then there's the forestry demonstration uh road that's usually a part of the Kananaskis rally and then the Cochrane rally which is up north of Wipers. what like what is it what kind of cars and what are you doing um there? pretty much everything like there's it's the full-on like roll cage helmets you know fireproof suits stuff like that so and it's as fast as you can go from the start of the stage to the end of the stage and it's racing against the clock you have a driver and a co-driver and you go the day before and you write your notes for the road and then which is all uh done at like 60 kilometers an hour and it's strictly enforced and then on the race day then you go out and you go and race 
and then whenever I couldn't afford it, I would either help out with one of my friends as his service crew. So after every few stages, then they come back in, you fix if anything's broken on the car or else I would go and shoot the rallies. And uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. I've met a lot of people through that. Um, haven't made any money out of it uh, with the shooting, but uh, it's cost me a lot more because it's eaten a few shutters on cameras and stuff because of dust and whatever. Yeah, met a few other photographers through it and they're really good photographers. Uh, we share ideas and stuff back and forth with each other. So yeah, that was that's the rally stuff, but I sold my car in 2015, 2016, something like that. Just couldn't afford it. I had a an old 87 Corolla GTS. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was one of those things where I built a rear wheel drive car, and people are like, "Why are you building a rear wheel drive car? It's going to be slow." And so I went out to prove them wrong. And uh, yeah, I beat. A lot of the, uh, just on regional rallies anyway, uh, a lot of the all-wheel drive turbo cars and got on overall podiums and second and third and led Can't Ask Us Rally for a while once. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, just going like 140, 150 kilometers an hour on a gravel road and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm trying to put that together. Uh, like so, uh, uh, one level... You know, rally racing is just cool. And I remember growing up in the 90s, uh, you know, Subarus and Citroëns were, it was just cool to watch that shit on TV. <laughs> but, you know, from a photography standpoint, or maybe even, let's say, a psychology standpoint, that's a pretty high energy world. <laughs> yes. And um, the photography I know you for is this serene sort of meditative uh, prairie abandoned house photography. Uh, so they feel like opposite ends of a spectrum to me. Has any what's changed the most from being a rally car driver to being a prairie photographer, or are you the same kind of person and just doing different? Things? I think I'm the same kind of person. I have, I had one of the reasons I had to quit was money, but also um, I kind of had to step away from it for a while because I have going along with some of the mental health things i if i'm doing something i have to like fully and that's like what i breathe and that's that's who i am and that's all i can think about and it was really really hard not to be able to afford to to race anymore so i had to fully pull myself away from it for a while and i didn't go to any of the races around for like a year and a half two years and just barely had any contact with anybody for a while and after i sold my car i ended up buying a, a medium format digital camera because i wanted to sell my like get out of rally to focus on my photography more because i couldn't i wasn't able to do both i couldn't couldn't uh divide my attention enough so i was doing both for a while too like the long exposure stuff but the long exposures i've been doing since 2011 i think i took a a workshop with Mark Coville used to be from Vancouver, but now he lives in Germany again, but he had a long exposure workshop in Calgary and I went and did that. And it just totally like turned a light on inside. It's like, that's sort of what I was missing for what I wanted to do with the, with my prairie photography and just 
like seeing the long exposures and what I could do with it really sort of changed the game. And then all I did for like two or three years was just every photo I was doing were long exposure photos. And a lot of them are just horrific. <laughs> but like, because I would just shoot anything. And I would also get just really frustrated if it wasn't clouds. But um, that's changed. And like, if it's just completely overcast with no definition in the clouds, clear blue sky, or then cloudy, like I can adapt to that now. It gives me a different feeling toward the cloud, like toward the photos. Like I tend to have like really bright photos or really dark photos now. And the darker ones are usually when it's cloudy and the brighter ones are when it's not. What was it at that workshop that turned that light on? You know, there's so many different genres. So in this case, yeah, you saw uh, this master show you something. What did it speak to? Like he, he was doing, he had a, um, a prairie series that he did and he was doing a lot of grain elevators and some abandoned stuff, but uh, just something about it just really spoke to me. I couldn't really put a finger on it. Then he did uh, a printing, like he came back to Calgary shortly after like a couple months later and did a second workshop on like editing and printing. And only like three of the people from the class before that came. And then I ended up going out for a day shooting with him too. And then we've become good friends since then. So it's, it's been really nice and it's, yeah, really helpful to be able to just, you know, bounce ideas off him or talk to him about it and uh, hearing his feedback about, you know, the progression from me. From a process perspective, then what is, what does it mean to be a long exposure photographer? So uh, in my mind, um, you need to have patience. I don't have a lot of that. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like you have um, to be very planning oriented. It doesn't look like yeah, you know, something it, intuitive at all. It helps. You, it really makes you become really deliberate in what you want to do because, you know, you're spending anywhere between, for a lot of mine anyway, are like between four and 12 minutes long. They're in the middle of the day just with a 16 stop ND filter. And then it's just a lot of patience and just it's very therapeutic because you're just sitting there waiting and there's not a whole lot to do. So I just embrace being out there and then just the silence, like there's times where like you're just sitting there, there's no birds, no wind, no noise. And it's just, just silence. And it's one of the most beautiful things. Like it's just, it's some of the times I feel the most alive is when I'm out there in the middle of nowhere, like not seeing anybody for like hours and just sitting in a field shooting this abandoned house that has nothing around it. Yeah. It's just, it's very, uh, it clear, helps clear my head because my head feels like it's going a million miles an hour most of the time. So it just helps reset things. Going out shooting is sometimes a necessity just for helping with, uh, calming stuff down in my head. It's funny. I mean, I, I definitely understand parts of that, uh, you know, as a photographer, I love, I don't know, what, what do we say? Being in a zone or whatever, but I also have this thought that I think sitting alone in a field would give me anxiety. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's I, interesting. I, I, I have a really hard time being in groups of people of more than two or three. I just, 
it's just the anxiety I get is really debilitating. And I just, I just shut down and can't function. It makes it really difficult going out to events or when we used to be able to do things um, with, with uh, going out with my girlfriend to different things. It was like frustrating for her at times because like she would like to go out and do things, but then, you know, I just, sometimes I just can't. Like, or like, it looks like I'm having a horrible time, but actually I'm enjoying myself and mix that with, um, my, my Finnish heritage of being Finnish people are generally a very antisocial type culture and we don't smile a whole lot or whatever. So people just think I'm, you know, not happy or grumpy or whatever. It's like, no, actually I'm quite enjoying myself <laughs> just, you know, sitting in the corner and, you know, just listening and not participating. I met a woman from Finland once and uh that's a crazy language, man. I Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's beautiful and it's right, right? But it's like so abstract. I think it's fairly unique, right? In the European linguistics mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, um I like my mom was born there and she moved here when she was quite young, but I've tried on numerous occasions trying to learn the language and it's just it's difficult like i know a few words here and there and when i lived in toronto i was around a lot more finnish people so i could understand a bit more but after moving out here i just kind of just lost it all but i i just i have a really strong sort of attachment to my finnish roots in a way there's just something that always Like I've I've been there twice and it was one of the few places where I felt like I was at home, which I haven't had really in many places at all. I don't know. I just, I have a really strong attachment to, to my Finnish heritage. I, I have uh, dual citizenship, so I have an EU passport. So that's very sweet. It's kind of, yeah. It's kind of my, it's kind of my plan B if everything goes to shit here, like really badly, I can escape. Yeah, that's cool. I wish I had an EU passport. I feel like, uh, yeah, like you, that it'd be nice to have a plan B. <laughs> yeah. And I have, like, I have cousins and aunts and uncles out in, in Finland who I'd like to go see again and stuff. And we keep in contact through like, messaging and email and stuff. I think why I brought up having anxiety when I'm by myself, I think there's a distinction between isolation and solitude. You know, It's weird. I mean, maybe I'll put words in your mouth, but it sounds like when you're with people, you feel isolated, and then when you're by yourself, you feel like you're where you belong. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. And I guess when I'm with people, there's more pressure to perform in a way, or like act a certain way, or whatever. Where um, when I'm by myself, I can just you know talk to myself or. You know, it's not like I act really much different, but just, I just, I don't have any of those outside pressures, so I can feel really relaxed. This episode of My Viewfinder is brought to you by the Calgary Foundation, proudly supporting community needs for 65 years. Empathy, kindness, generosity. We are united in our desire to give, to inspire hope and transform the lives of people who are struggling in turbulent times. And the Calgary Foundation is here to help. 
From mental health programs to environmental causes, the Community Knowledge Center website features profiles of charitable organizations, all searchable by area of interest. Be inspired by compelling stories. Be informed of innovative work. Be responsive to the needs. To connect to hundreds of outstanding charitable organizations serving our community, visit ckc.calgaryfoundation.org. To learn more about Calgary Foundation, visit calgaryfoundation.org. So, what does it mean to isolate? And what does it mean to embrace solitude? Man, there's a spiritual component here. The journey to learning oneself is always difficult. In my opinion, we can't learn anything of value without pain and loss. But as we work through these inevitable problems, we have the opportunity to build ourselves, our sense of self, and our sense of how we exist in the world around us. Some of us, like Chris, work best alongside it, on the periphery, documenting its beauty. Others want to be embroiled within it, thrashing about in the mosh pit of social interaction. What about you? What does your approach to photography say about you? Perhaps when you take your next picture or reflect on the project you're currently working on, you might see the relationship creative expression has with your own mental health. Your images can reveal where you were, where you are, or where you might be going. Perhaps this week, let's take a few minutes, or a 12-hour drive in your car, and look for that silence Chris talks about to reflect on how this art form, or any art form, can work as a great reprieve. A way to connect to others around you and share the burden of all of this uh, living. It's actually a lot more rewarding and empowering than it sounds, at least coming from me. Do you have a favorite sound? Um, silence. Of course. <laughs> just, yeah, there's just something about, like, everything being dead, silent, and quiet. Like, not even the wind rustling or birds or animals just being surrounded by nothing in the silence. It's beautiful.